Hey guys, and welcome to the Abundance Alchemist podcast. I'm Caitlin Dorsey, an Abundance Alchemist, animal lover, trauma survivor to thriver, mindset expert, self-love junkie, and author. This is the place to be to grab those powerful tools, ideas, and inspiration to make lasting changes in yourself and your life. No more waiting, my friends, because it's time to show up unapologetically, radiate that confidence, and create a life you absolutely love. Time to buckle up and dive on in. All right. Hello, my high-vibing friends. I'm so excited that you guys are here with us on the Abundance Alchemist podcast. We have an amazing guest today, and I'm so excited to introduce her and get this conversation flowing. So today we are talking with Dr. Erica Schwartz. Um, She has a really powerful background um, in medicine. So she was born in Romania, um, graduated high school in Italy, and then went to college and medical school and postgraduate school in New York City. Um, She's really passionate about becoming a healer and she became a physician um, and really wanted to know how she could help people, um, you know, with integrating medicine and critical care. So she landed her first job as a chief of emergency medicine at 28 in a large trauma center in New York. And then five years later, she realized that she wanted to move into private practice um, for the continuity of care and long-term relationship with the clients. She really sort of noticed that um, she wasn't helping her patients by running a bunch of tests and turning them over to specialists. So she began questioning the motivation of behind conventional medicine and turned toward the practice of medical prevention. She found a ton of emotional reward and endless opportunities to heal healthy patients and help them stay well, also allowing them to doctors to listen and respect them. Um, She grew her private practice with a lot of Um, experience and results were remarkable when she noticed how she was empowering people and gaining confidence that led to her writing eight books. Um, And her message still remains the the message of patient empowerment, patient advocacy, and patient-centric medicine. um, And that started to spread for her. So today she sees patients three days a week still and does clinical research and writes for both the public and medical profession about her experience of combining conventional medicine with prevention, leading to truly magical, healthy, patients who enjoy their lives and who aren't afraid. Um, incredible background and just, I'm so excited to uh, welcome her on. So welcome, Dr. Erica. Thank you, Caitlin. I have to tell you that what you just did was a professional presentation of me. And I think I need whatever you wrote because this is what we should be using. Uh, it sounds amazing. I sound so good. I actually liked it. Oh, good. I'm glad. Well, it's an impressive it's background. <laughs> it didn't sound like this to me when you think about it, but you, I mean, you didn't say anything that wasn't really the truth. Perfect. So impressive. <laughs> Very impressive. You're great. Thank Thanks. you. Thank well, you. I would love to hear kind of a little bit more about that, um, more about your story with kind of going into this place of conventional medicine. Cause I know we, we briefly chatted before we started recording here and um, we we're talking about, you know, how there is kind of this rift between conventional medicine and, or more like Western medicine and Eastern medicine, or, you know, really because people get in the space of being fearful and not really understanding what's happening in Western medicine. So I'd love to hear kind of just more about your background in that and um, kind of how you got to where you are today. Um, that's a short question. <laughs> it is. It's long-winded. <laughs> you want a short answer? <laughs> it's up to you. <laughs> no. no. So I think it's really interesting because the more I think about it, the more it becomes like, so, you know, this was my life's journey, obviously. And um, I came here and I wanted to be a doctor because I wanted to help people and I wanted to be a healer. Mm-hmm. And I didn't even understand what that really meant because I was too young at the time. And it seemed like the only place 
you know, it seemed like getting an MD would actually make me a healer. It qualifies you as a healer, doesn't it? I mean, don't they, doesn't the medical profession earn, it's like, you know, total trust by the public. The moment that you have an MD after your name, you can know zero about anything and they'll trust you. Whatever you say, they just mm-hmm. trust you. You have an MD, so it's the MD that qualifies you as an expert. Um, so I thought that that would make me a healer. So I went to medical school, <laughs> and um, I finished medical school, and um, I trained in internal medicine and critical care, and I loved it because critical care really deals with life and death, mm-hmm. and so you don't have time to think about what healing should really be about. Because you're not really healing, you're just stopping people from dying. Right. And so that was the focus. So as you said, my first job was at 28 um, to run a major trauma center, which was also unusual because, you know, there were no women running anything. Mm -hmm. And um, this is in the late 80s, actually. No, late 70s, early 80s. And um, so no women were running anything. So I was very cheap. Obviously, they paid me nothing. Hmm. (laughs) And then... Um, what happened was that you, you didn't have to think of healing. You were just saving lives if you could. Mm-hmm. And so I loved it for a f- five or six years, after which I decided that I really wanted to have contact with my patients, to so understand my patients, to know what they, their lives were about. I, you know, like I wanted to, like I even made house calls when I first went into private practice because I thought this, that you need, I needed to understand my patients. Mm-hmm. And it was very unusual. And I think to this day, it is unusual because you're right, right there's a huge <laughs> rift between the conventional way of thinking, which is all about diagnosing disease, mm-hmm. um, treating disease, and trying to stop people from dying. Mm-hmm. There is no such thing as prevention, which is truly giving people what they need to stay healthy forever. You know, when you talk about anti-aging and longevity and things like that, you're not really dealing with the, you know, you know, you're not, you don't really know what the truth is. And the truth is you don't have to be sick. You don't have to treat disease. You can prevent all of it. And that's truly healing. Mm -hmm. So I didn't understand that for many years. It took a couple of decades until I actually came around to the realization that I was totally wasting my time in the in the conventional world following protocols and just doing tests and um, looking to find something wrong with a patient to diagnose a disease and then you know keep them sick with a label basically put a label on them you know that diabetes and that's it mm-hmm. you know then you're going to deal with that so it took me many years to get to realize that that there was no reason to get that far. Mm. that, you know, you can prevent disease, you can teach people. And then I started realizing that, you know, diet, exercise, lifestyle, stress management, relationships, you know, those are things that affect how we are. And it was long before anybody even talked about how stress makes you sick kind of thing, Mm -hmm. you know, but I realized that. And then I started moving away from conventional medicine. And actually for a good decade, I really hated having an MD after my name. I felt like it was actually detracting from me being a healer. 
And wow. it did. It was detracting. Mm-hmm. To this day, when I speak to conventional doctors, they still don't understand what I'm talking about. But you know, <laughs> but if you're around long enough and you write enough books and enough people know you, then they kind of accept what you say, even if they don't agree or if they're unwilling to learn anything. So, mm-hmm. um, so now. I get it, but I'm not the only one who gets it. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are starting to get it. And I feel like you, you know, who's doing the same thing I'm talking about, mm-hmm. um, get it. And it's about really putting together the pieces of having the best life possible today and not looking for disease and not looking for treatments for diseases, but looking for ways to improve and optimize the life that you have in health. Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah. And I think that you hit on such a big point of, you know, we do go into this place for diagnosis and that if there's not a diagnosis, you can't help. And I think it's interesting, even with counseling, the idea is, I think more people think counseling is focusing on the way of life, but there's still behind the scenes of counseling. If you don't have an initial diagnosis in the first intake session, you don't have treatment because you can't provide therapy if there's not a diagnosis, much like kind of that idea that you were talking about with doctors, if there's not a diagnosis of something, there's not a way to treat it. And that's a really old way of thinking, as you kind of pointed out, because we don't have to have a diagnosis for a lot of really normal things that are going on with us. And like you said, a lot of times we think, okay, I go to the counselor if I'm sick or or if I'm um, struggling with something in my life, I go to the doctor if I'm sick, but that's not what we should really be using these professions for. We should be using them to learn Mm -hmm. how to prevent these different things and how to optimize that life. Like you said, which was really powerful. Well, thanks, but you're right. And the thing is that the other thing you touched on, which is so important is that Conventional medicine, you know, disease-centered medicine, labeled, you know, labeled-centered medicine is all about making people scared. Mm. It's about fear. Because when people are afraid, they will do whatever you want them to do because they're scared because they think they're going to die if they don't do what you tell them. So this is why the system, the conventional medical system is so broken because what they do is they use fear, intimidation, and bullying as their main, you know, main like hooks into the patient. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I I believe that the way, you know, I have patients who've been with me for 30 years. Mm-hmm. So I have, and they stayed with me. And the reason they stay with me is because I don't use any of those techniques. I am all about empowering the patient making them feel free to do whatever they want because they live in that body. I don't live in that body and I respect them and I am there to coach them, to give them information that I have learned over the years. And I stay beyond cutting edge because mm-hmm. I'm lucky, I guess. And, um, you know, so the thing is I am there as a coach, as a support system and I'm not there to bully them into following my advice. And if they don't follow my advice, it's perfectly fine with me. They can come back to me anytime and I will never pass judgment or tell them that I told you so or anything like that. So that's a huge difference between the way the authoritarian 
conventional medical system operates and the way it should operate if it's going to be healing and helping people optimize their lives instead of worrying about, you know, disease. Yeah, I love that. I think that's kind of like when I was saying earlier, that idea that there is so much fear with the Western medicine because you don't feel like you, you know, if you don't go to medical school and your doctor is spouting off all these different medications and all these different things going on with your labs, you're like, I have no idea what you're saying. I don't like, I don't have that background. I don't know. So then it's like, oh, well, if you know, this is high in your bladder, this is low, then they're like, you need to be on this medication. And there's not really a discussion that happens, which I think is often why people go to this Eastern medicine or more preventative styles and lifestyles, because first of all, the idea is to prevent disease. None of us want to have disease, obviously. But the next piece of it is because it feels like we have a say. And like you said, you have that, you have a conversation where you're a support system and you're a coach to your clients rather than telling them this is what you need to do. Because you're so right when you said the idea of how much fear the hooks get in in Western medicine or conventional approaches. All I could think about was those um, commercials that you see on TV with the prescriptions. And it's like, they have this beautiful painted picture of like what this, you know, medicine is going to help you do. And while you're looking at this beautiful picture and you're hearing about it, you're also hearing about all these side effects, but it's so quick. <laughs> and I, that's all I could think about. It's just like, sure. yes, but you know, and my favorite one is always those, um, like antidepressant medications. And it's like, yeah. could increase suicidal risk and ideations. And it's sure. like, huh, isn't that why so many people are taking these medications to decrease that, but it could actually right. enhance that, but you're not paying attention to that. And it's because you've got that fear aspect of, if you don't take this, your life can't be whatever you're looking at it to be. You're There's something wrong with you. There's a chemical imbalance or there's something wrong that you can't fix a different way. And I think, again, we put in, we go so black and white on this because then some of us go, well, Western medicine is the only way. And some of us go, well, Eastern medicine or more preventative approaches are the only way. And we don't listen to this balance, which I think is really unique about what you're doing because you are using a balance because there mm -hmm. is a place for mm -hmm. Western medicine and there is a place for Eastern philosophies sure. or more preventative. Sure. Totally. Totally. Yeah, yeah there is. Um, but you know, Sadly, it's so it's so separated and so extreme that there are very few people in the space that I'm sitting in. Mm -hmm. And um, and it's actually like the conventional system really doesn't want doctors to know what I know. Right. They they don't want doctors to listen. They don't want doctors to deviate from the party line because the party line is fully sponsored by pharmaceuticals mm -hmm. and pharmaceuticals will not gain anything if what you're doing is keeping people healthy and teaching them to take responsibility, which takes me to the next step, which is respons taking responsibility. And, you know, it's much easier and it's a cultural thing mm -hmm. that it's much easier to take a pill to make you better than to stop drinking to make mm -hmm. you better. It's a lot easier to take a pill to thinking that it's going to make you less depressed than to mourn the loss of a loved one. Right. And unfortunately, that's not true. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, you know, it only puts you in a cycle that sends you, you know, spin cycle that sends you down the drain and you go in the wrong direction. Because mm -hmm. if you go through the process of mourning or the 
the process of like withdrawing or stopping things Mm -hmm. that are toxic to you. Um, It's painful, but at the end of it, you come out clearer and your life becomes better quality and you become healthier. Mm -hmm. So we all know that, you know, I did a Ted talk recently, which is exactly about that. And it was about, um, about uh, what happened like with COVID that, you know, have, are we inviting in the virus or is the virus just coming willy nilly attacking us? And it was like, well, when you have your third glass of wine, mm-hmm. do you think that that's making it less likely for the virus to attack you or more likely? And it's very interesting because y- if you think about it, it's not blaming anybody, but it's actually give, empowering people. It's giving you ownership over your health and it's giving you power. You know, I mean, why is it that, you know, obesity is the number one disease or condition in the, in the United States? Mm-hmm. And why do we get sick? Well, it's because we're eating junk, because we don't exercise, we don't move, we don't, we don't sleep. Mm-hmm. they're so simple and you know and they're not eastern medicine nope. and they're not western medicine they're mm-hmm. just sense medicine right yeah and i that's that's huge right it is we are in very much ingrained in this place of where is that one little happy pill that's going to fix me or mm-hmm. you know and and i think you hit on a, a really big concept of you said you know we do think it's easier to take that pill but in reality it's not because even like in, in my you know background of, of working in addiction, well, I'll hear so many times with clients, like, um, you know, they go through withdrawal and yes, with alcohol withdrawal, you can have seizures. Sometimes you do need a medical detox. Absolutely. There is a place where there's meds that are needed, but you cannot go through a detox for five to 10 days or, you know, whatever it is that you need and be completely fixed because addiction is not just the body addiction is also the mind. And you kind of touched on this piece of like taking responsibility. And that's really where it comes because we, the other thing about kind of medicine that I think we've, we've done in society is we've pulled apart this piece of, uh, and kind of what you're talking about with inviting COVID in, or are we making it harder for it to attack us? Um, is the idea that we're separate, like our body is separate from our mind and it's not. Mm -hmm. And so what you're really doing is bridging those concepts of no, you take responsibility for not just your physical health, but also your mental health, your emotional health, your spiritual health. Like you're looking at a very holistic approach, which is how we can really take responsibility. We have to be active participants in our life. If we sit back and let someone else run our life, then we are inviting other things in because we're being lazy. Right. But, you know, it's easier, we think, Mm -hmm. to look outside for the solutions instead of looking inside. Right. And, and, you know, and if you think about it, our whole life is really about turning everything outside, outward. Mm -hmm. Nobody, you know, do you know, I mean, I don't know if you realize that like plastic surgery has become beyond popular Mm -hmm. with COVID. Because, you know, it's all about facade. <laughs> so it's how you look. It's not how you feel. And, um, there, you know, there's a really, like, you have to think about what, where is this going to end? Where is that going to lead us? Mm-hmm. And 
it's got to lead us to a place where we're more enlightened. Because if you think about it, I mean, we have all these amazing modalities that, you know, that have made life easier for us. Mm-hmm. And it's all technology, right? Mm-hmm. Right. But the human mind, which, as you said, mind and body are the same. I mean, unequivocally, Mm -hmm. like it's not like a a novel idea, but it is a novel idea and conventional. Mm -hmm. Anyway, but if you think about it, like how is the mind and body keeping up with the technology and with the changes that we're undergoing, you know, every day a new iPhone? Every day, a new technology, right? Mm-hmm. And how is the mind and body keeping up with that? Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, know. are we? <laughs> of course not. Right. Clearly not. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, our cells behave the same way that they behaved hundreds of thousands of years ago. You know, we have the same cellular structure, the same, you know, hormones, the same um you know, nuclei, the same DNA, the same RNA. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's the same. That's our gen- genetic makeup is exactly the same as it was hundreds of thousands of years ago. And it's really, that doesn't change. What has changed is the environmental thing, the epigenome, right? What mm-hmm. goes on outside. And it's what goes on outside mm-hmm. and how it influences you know, what goes on inside is really where we're going to, where we are getting into trouble. Right. And you hear very little about that. And I think it becomes really important to change that because you can, I mean, it's so easily changed. Right. And I feel like part of, part of the first really step of, of changing that is really figuring out how to listen to your body and how right. to pay attention and go within. So when, when you work with clients, how do you tell them to listen to their body? I teach them to realize that they have a body and that they live in that body. <laughs> that's the first one. That's huge, right? <laughs> that's a huge one. Yeah, because most people don't live in their bodies. They don't. They either live in their heads or they don't even live anywhere near either one of those pieces. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so I think the first thing is really to start making connections. You know, because people make connections like, oh, I took this pill and this is what happened. I got a headache. And then they stick with that connection. And the truth is that we don't know if that connection is correct. It's the same as like, oh, I ate you know, onions and then I felt sick. And so I'm never eating onions again. Well, we don't know that that's really what the problem was. Mm-hmm. And we make connections that may or may not be right. And I think once you start living in your body, and becoming aware of the things you're doing while you're eating those onions or taking that pill, um, then you start getting more to a place where you can start helping yourself. Mm. So I think it's a matter of like people really, you know, like I said, living in, in their bodies and making the connection of, but correct connections, you know, it's yeah. like there are all these connections being made that have nothing to do with yelling. And, um, I think it becomes, so making the right connections makes sense. So, you know, like, for instance, like, this was like a, something that we used to do about 15 years ago, which was like, give people a glass of Coca-Cola mm-hmm. and then ask them how they feel, you know, an hour, half an hour later, an hour later, two hours later, three hours later, and then 
the next day, bring them back and have them drink a glass of water mm-hmm. and see how they feel half an hour later, an hour later, three hours later. I mean, it's one variable. And you have to realize that there's no such thing as only one variable. So right. with limitation in mind, it was interesting to see how people actually started, would say, oh, I feel so much better when I drink the Coke within half an hour. But then like three hours later, I can't even move anymore. I'm so tired. Mm-hmm. Um, with the water, nothing changed. I mean, they were fine. I mean, mm-hmm. it made it probably did nothing because it was one glass of water, but it was not poisoning them. So right. what you think is the salvation, which is the sugar in the Coke, right? Mm-hmm. It was actually making them sick. But they didn't know that until you sat them down, gave them the coke, said, here, how are you feeling now, 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 now across time? And then do the same thing with water and see how that works. And then they made the connection. And then they understood how their bodies are reacting to water versus coke, right? Right. It's hard because there's so many variables going on at the Mm -hmm. same time. And it's hard, but it's a step towards helping people live inside their bodies. And Mm -hmm. one step is good enough. Yeah, I love that. And I think sugar, um, I just have to go like on a slight tangent here because it always blows my mind how much people don't understand about sugar. But um, we look at sugar, like you said, as kind of this like Hail Mary, like it's great and it helps us. Mm -hmm. And then we look at like, especially, like I said, my background. So obviously going into looking at drugs and addiction, um, it, it acts the same as cocaine. And so looking at that of like, everybody's like, Oh, cocaine, bad sugar, good, but they're one (laughs) in the same in how it's reacting in your body. And we often don't know that. Or like same thing with caffeine, people will look at, you know, caffeine and I have to have my coffee or I have to have my soda or whatever it is, or my energy drink. Um, and actually a lot of treatment centers, ban energy drinks because they mimic the effects of meth in your brain. And so people have these like very black and white ideas, but the research of like how, why it actually like these things, when you said Coke and you said poison, that really hits true with a lot of these different things that we're not paying attention to. And you said, you know, just living your body and paying attention to the effects that you're noticing and the true connections of, you know, not just 30 minutes after, but three hours later, how are you feeling? Right. And paying attention to that, that's huge because that really does keep you in your body for not just the immediate effect. Because like you said, that's when we make those improper connections. Right. It's true. It's true that um, that's probably the first step towards getting people to live in their bodies. And, you know, and it's not just the toxicity to the body, mm-hmm. it's to the brain. Right. And and as you know, as we all know, that the brain runs the show, mm-hmm. but the brain and the gut are really one. So, right. you know, so, yeah, so it's about getting them slowly, slowly. It yeah. should be a lot faster, but right. let's see, just getting people to start living in their bodies and then realizing that they have the power to change things. Right. Right. They have the ability to change things. So it's not the pill that made you feel better. It's that water that made you feel better. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. It's not the, you know, it's not like the Coke we said, right? Mm -hmm. It's the water. And then instead of just sitting there and getting tired in the afternoon, 
you know, and not having any energy and popping, you know, like an energy drink, right? Or a cup of coffee. Maybe you just get up from your computer or whatever you're doing and you move. You walk around your desk, walk around the room, walk around the building, walk around the block, but just move. And if you move, then you have taken control over what your body's doing and you'll feel better. So then you actually will start living in your body because you realize that you have control. Right. And I love that too, because I mean, then you're talking about a natural endorphin release rather than substituting it, which is often what we do. And what we're talking about when we're talking about taking these pills, we're substituting something that our body can already naturally do. We, our body can already naturally give us those adrenaline boosts when we need it. Like you said, getting up, walking around, um, you know, exercising, doing all these things that can be helpful. Um, but we go to kind of this other aspect of the quick fix when really getting up and walking around for a minute is a very quick fix as well. (laughs) Every hour, you know, like I've seen like studies about that, but, um, it's, it's an, it's insane how easily we are to shift to what we think is easier when it's really not even that much easier. And we can be so much more healthy and benefit our lives so much more by just shifting our perspective and our, our perception about what is easy. Right. But the, if you think about it, unfortunately, we live in a culture where it's all about consumerism and buying, right? Mm-hmm. right? So um, there's like no interest mm-hmm. in the conversation you and I are having because you're not going to make money off of it. Right. That's very true. Mm-hmm. So. So then it's, so then it becomes important that you and I keep on having this conversation mm-hmm. that you go out after we talk and spread the word. And I go out after we talk and spread the word and just keep on spreading the word. And then people eventually realize, and I mean, I see it as I was saying to you in the practice and in the stuff I do every day, that the more you spread the word, the more people listen and hear the more change does take over. Right. Absolutely. And I do, I want to, I want to go back to something else you said too. Um, Cause I think it's really important to touch on. So you were talking about how, you know, the things haven't changed in our body, like our RNA, our DNA, all the systems, our immune system, all that stuff is operating the same as it was hundreds of years ago. And one of them you said was hormones. And mm-hmm. I'm interested in hormones. I think hormones are, a tainted idea (laughs) for a lot of different reasons. And I'm curious, hormones are really important. And I'm curious, you know, like, why are they important? So um, first of all, you know what, the only thing that hasn't changed is the DNA and the messenger RNA, the, your genetic codes, those have not changed. Right. Mm -hmm. So if you are like, you know, if you're have like, let's say a genetic marker for, some kind of cancer or something like that, it's not going to be, you're not going to get that cancer unless environmentally in your diet, exercise, lifestyle, stress, et cetera, et cetera, you push it so that that particular button gets turned on. Mm. So I think that that's really important because then you don't go looking for cancer. Then you go looking for health rather than, oh, my God, I am Baraka positive. 
Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean you're going to get cancer. That doesn't mean anything. It just means that that's in your genetic code. And your genetic code either gets activated by how you live, what you eat, right? How you conduct your life, or it doesn't get activated. So I think that we've made huge mistakes in telling people, scaring people even further with the genetic you know, doing genetic work on, you know, telling them, oh my God, you're at risk for this. Okay. So if you're at risk of this, what can you do to prevent that? So I think that was like really an important piece that the genetic code is the same, but genetic expression of that code of whatever's wrong in that code will not occur unless you conduct your life in such a way that it, you know, brings on these diseases, right? Mm-hmm. And you're not going to prevent those diseases by figuring out what you're at risk for. Okay. You're going to prevent those diseases by conducting your life the way, you know, eating right, sleeping, exercising, etc. So mm-hmm. let's go back to hormones then. So hormones are really important. And you're right, it's a tainted subject. Because in 2002, this idiotic study that was a government study <laughs> went bust and, um, and it was completely erroneously done. It was flawed. It was full of mistakes. They only looked at one type of hormone, so you know, hormone re- replacement therapy. Mm-hmm. But even in that case, what they came out with was completely wrong. And then... As recently, so it took forever because it was on women. So as you know, women mm-hmm. get the sh- short end of the stick. Yep. And so even as recently as 2017, the principal investigators of that study retracted the data, retracted the study. And there was no, like the media did not cover it. Mm-hmm. And it's unbelievable. Yeah. So, so. Hormones are not just good for you. They're fantastic for you. When you have hormones in your body, you're healthy. When you don't have hormones in balance, in proper balance in your body, you get sick. You get diseases of chronic chronic illnesses. You get sick, you get old. Hold on. That's okay. <laughs> I'm here. He lost me. Okay. I'm here. So... Um, hormones are fantastic. I mean, I have been on hormones for 25 years. I've mm-hmm. been on hormones for more, more than 30 years. They don't get Alzheimer's. They do not get cancers. They don't get chronic, you know, cardiovascular disease. They don't get osteoporosis. They stay healthy. But the caveat is they also have to eat right, exercise, sleep, you know, deal with things. It's not just like in a vacuum, but hormones are crucial. Without hormones, it's one way, you know, there are a couple of ways that mother nature takes us out of the game. Mm-hmm. One of them is by taking out the hormones. And that's when like a menopause, when you start losing your hormones and men lose their hormones a little later, but they also lose their hormones. Mm-hmm. But, so this is really crucial to understand that hormones are great for you. It just happens to be that, you know, what kind of hormones, how that you're taking them, but even, you know, as little as just like understanding that you want hormones that are identical to what the hormones your body makes, that becomes important to know that. 
And then finding doctors who understand a little bit about hormones and will give you hormones when you go into menopause or even before menopause, because symptoms of hormone imbalance occur in your 20s and your 30s, way before you go into menopause. So it's not a menopause like moment, one moment in time when like all of a sudden you need hormones. You need hormones all along. So with hormones, you stay healthy. If you think about it, when you're in your 20s, you're full of hormones, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, really full of hormones. You're healthy. You have no wrinkles on your face. Your brain functions well. You have no osteoporosis. You have no heart disease. You don't get cancers. There's very little disease associated with young women, you know, in their 20s. Mm-hmm. And when a woman is pregnant, and when a woman is pregnant, her hormones become even more. You have mm-hmm. more hormones, right? Because you're flooded with hormones because you have to raise, you know, the fetus and take care of them, right? Right, right. So how come women who are pregnant don't get sick? How come? Because they have more hormones. Exactly. So how could hormones do anything wrong to you? Wow. I like that, you know, cause there is like, I'm, I'm currently pregnant. And so this is very oh. real to me. <laughs> um, oh, well, I'm glad to hear that. Yes. What are you having? Uh, what are you you. having? Um, I'm what? having a boy. Nice. Yes. Is that first, your first one? It is. <laughs> oh, wonderful. Well, great. Congratulations. Yes. Thank you. When, but when you do? When you um, do? April 17th, actually. So Easter. Nice. Oh my God. Good. Well, <laughs> yeah. congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. But going back to what we were saying about this fear and conventional um, medicine, it's been very real, especially during pregnancy. And I mean, even with COVID, like it's ramped up of like, oh, your immune system's down. So you are way more at risk to get sick and you're more at risk to get COVID. And then um, I was even thinking about when you're talking about, you know, the genetic markers, there's a lot of different tests that you can do. Um, and we opted out of one, um, the one for like the carriers, we didn't feel that was necessary for our choice. And, but we did do the chromosomal one strictly because we wanted to know if we were having a boy or girl. Um, but we got the, I was really nervous about that because, you know, it tells you the, the markers for down syndrome and some other chromosomal disorders. And I had three people around me tell me that they were all told that they had a high chance of their babies having down syndrome and none of them did. They've all had their children. None of them had down syndrome. And so I think it was really important what you said of just because, you know, doesn't mean you're going to prevent it, but also doesn't mean that it's going to manifest that way. And that's, again, one of those ways that they're embedding this fear into that conventional of like, oh, your immune system's down, you're going to get sick and all these, all these different things. And, you know, so people have been asking me just like, oh, are you not, you know, going into work or are you, you know, staying, staying home more? I bet you're doing this. And I haven't changed the way of my life because Why would you? Why exactly. Would you? Um, <laughs> but it's not true, but that's a total, that that's not the truth. When you are pregnant, your immune system is stronger because it's protecting you and the fetus. Mm-hmm. So that's totally not true. You have better immune system than you've ever had. Wow. Your hormones are working to protect you and the fetus. So I don't even know where that's coming from. There's a no scientific data to support the fact that pregnant women have less of an immune system than, than they have, you know, than yeah, just pregnant women. Pregnant women have a better immune system, if anything. Wow. Well, it's, that's it's, good to know. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, have you been sick? 
No. And that's the thing. I, I've the only, I mean, I've had morning sickness, but nothing like, you know, right. not out of the normal. No, I that's haven't. Normal. Been, right. So I, normal, right. Yep. Exactly. Right. But you know what? So, um, you know, Jill, my physician associate, right. Who works with me, mm-hmm. she just had twins oh. and she was pregnant, um, through COVID. I mean, mm-hmm. she had them last fall. Mm-hmm. Last winter, spring, whatever, January. <laughs> <laughs> where are we? I don't right. know. Right? When are we? Anyway, and she took the train during COVID, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the subway, and she never got sick. And it was so obvious that her body is protecting her because mm-hmm. how would we have children? How would we be able to? keep on reproducing ourselves and maintain this, the species. If during pregnancy, your immune system was weaker, right? Think of just common sense. You don't even, I mean, the whole thing seems so ridiculous and to scare women into, you know, into having to do stuff that actually are questionable to their Mm -hmm. immune system. um, It's really not okay. I mean, I, you know, she never got sick once. I mean, she was with me every day until literally the day before she delivered. And then she was back at work within a couple of months. Mm-hmm. So um, she never got sick. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that's not just, the, you know, you could say, okay, it's one story, one person, but it's not, but she represents all women. Right. And it's like you said, there's not studies that are showing that that's even factual. It's something that just kind of somebody said and people started going along with it. Because we can make money off of it. Right. Exactly. I mean, think about the industry that was created with children, babies. I mean, Mm -hmm. how much money do you spend in getting ready to have a baby? Yeah. It's insane the amount Mm -hmm. of money things spend, right? And 20 years ago, it wasn't. I mean... Mm-hmm. Listen, if you figure out how to make money, just make money, but don't make it at the expense of people's fears. Absolutely. So bottom line, hormones are great. Hormones <laughs> and good are to know. Yeah. <laughs> hormones are fantastic. Hormones yeah. are great. Hormones keep you healthy. They keep your mind working. They keep you a contributor to society. And maybe in a way, the reason hormones have been you know, like you said, mislabeled and Mm -hmm. mishandled is because if women stay as participants and contributors to society after they have kids, after the kids are gone, then maybe society will change. And who wants women to be contributors and be able to be strong contributors as they get older? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And it's, I mean, we've made progress with women in society and things, but the reality is that it's not nearly the same. Still, we still have prejudice against women in high power positions and all of that. So um, I think that's, that's a very important topic to, to address, Mm -hmm. like you said. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. So before we um, wrap up this conversation, I do have one more question. um, And I'm curious what you think. So how do you think relationships affect your health? <laughs> well, if you're in a good relationship that makes you feel good about yourself, you're going to be healthy. Okay. If, it, if you have sex is very important to your health mm-hmm. because it raises the amount of hormones that you're producing. Right. And it makes you feel good. Mm-hmm. So if you feel good about yourself, 
and the relationship is empowering and supportive and encouraging, then by all means, then you're going to be great. And you, I think relationships are really important. And I'm not just saying, you know, just like sexual, you know, partnerships kind of relationships. I'm also right. talking about friendships. I'm talking about any kind of interaction with other people. Like, you know, in our practice, if somebody is not a good fit, that we're not good for them or they're not good for us, mm-hmm. we tell them. It's right. like everything else in life. If you can be honest about it and tell people the truth, then you'll, you'll get to a much better place and you'll you'll be successful at whatever you're doing. I mean, nobody needs negative input, but the truth is important because sometimes we lie about, you know, we're not going to be negative. So we're going to lie about it. We're going to just say something that's not the truth just because we want to be nice. So it's a matter of figuring out what the truth is and how to be gentle and kind by telling the truth and standing by the person that you're in the particular relationship with. I like that. And I like that you kind of say it it is very simple in the terms of if you're in a good relationship, your health is better because I mean, we all know that if, if, right, it's a very basic concept, but we try to make it very complicated and (laughs) justify, you know, bad behaviors in relationships or unhealthy things. But because we have that basic human need of companionship and wanting to belong and be accepted, but the reality is when you actually have those things, it is a healthy relationship and you do feel good about yourself. And it is easier to focus on other things like working out or being active because how many of us, when we have a crappy relationship, are we able to even give the energy to focus on making ourselves better? We get really consumed, like humans do get consumed. So um, I think that's, I like that you kind of said that it's kind of very simple in terms of that. It is simple, but you know, not like Einstein said, don't make it too simple. Right. (laughs) It's like, it's simple, but you know what? Um, You have to give people room. Right. And people don't take the room necessary to grow. You know, they just like literally become smaller and smaller and smaller and they squash themselves. And you want to take the space to grow and then you can figure out if you're in a good relationship, it's good for you. The other thing is, you know, like everything else, nothing has to last forever. It's okay. If it's done, it's done. And people stay in dead, stale relationships forever. And it's not okay, you know, right. whether it's a friendship or, you know, a love affair or whatever. It used to be a love affair. Anyway, um, it's not okay to just, stay there because it's easier. You think it's easier to stay. So that's why you need to take room and you have to have your hormones and balance. (laughs) I love that. Perfect. Well, I could talk to you for so long. I have appreciated our conversation so much and thank you so much for coming onto the podcast. Well, thank you for inviting me and I wish you the best of luck and good luck with your little boy. Thank you. And to my listeners, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, I hope you enjoyed this conversation and took out some of those valuable pieces of gold that were dropped today. Um, As always, please subscribe, rate, and review. Let us know what you want to hear. And I am going to put all of Erica's information in the episode notes so you can follow her, find her. Um, I'm excited to kind of follow along and uh, see where her journey (laughs) takes her. 
Oh, thank you. You too. Take care. <laughs> All right. Thank you for hanging out with me on the Abundance Alchemist podcast. Don't forget to head over and grab your free self-love activation meditation at theabundancealchemist.com and hit subscribe here so you don't miss a thing. Until next time, sending you so much love. <laughs>